I'm Michael, joined by Alex as always. How's it going? And this is Falling Through Potholes, a podcast about video game plot lines and how they have a tendency to go off the rails. And today we are on part three, the final part of our little mini series on Mafia, a series of video games by Hangar 13 and published by 2K Games that basically deals with, well, the Mafia, as the title would suggest. Except for, oddly enough, Mafia 3, which is more Mafia adjacent as opposed to being about (laughs) the Mafia, as we'll find out. But before we get into that, Alex, how you doing today? How how are things? I'm doing good. I'm doing all right. Good, good. Uh, I got a question for you. Mm. Have you ever been to New Orleans? And if so, what do you think of it? I actually have not. Uh, It would be somewhere I'd love to go. It seems like a very cool place, but I've never been there. New Orleans is like, what if Las Vegas was good? (laughs) And by by that, I mean, it's like, it is definitely a party city. Mm -hmm. Like, you can get to go cups full of alcohol and just wander the streets to just be free if you wanted to. Um, You can get absolutely ridiculously drunk, irresponsibly drunk. (laughs) Uh, As I watched my friends do when I went down there with them. Mm. They got to a level of drunk that even I was uncomfortable with. (laughs) Which if anybody knows me, I'm usually the drunkest one out of anybody. So that should tell you. You can confirm. You can confirm that. Exactly. Oh, boy. But, um, yeah, that should just go to show how hard you can go. But, like, mm. at the same time, like, there's also casinos down there you can go and hang out mm-hmm. in uh, that are 24-7 that are, you know, pretty impressive-looking casinos. But you can also then just go and actually explore the city that actually has a history to it. Right. There's, like, a genuine culture there. Multiple genuine cultures. Yeah. Yeah. With, you know, like, its own music scene that's unique to New Orleans mm-hmm. and, like... You know, even like the like surrounding outskirts, like the nature around there, the bayou and whatnot is actually very interesting, like to hang out in and take a look at because there's not really a whole lot that's like that in the United States, with the exception of certain parts of Florida. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I absolutely love New Orleans. I think it is super duper cool, which is why I'm very excited that today we're going to be talking about Mafia 3. A game that basically goes, what if we got away from New York, a.k.a. the place where, like, every other video game is placed, (laughs) Uh and instead went somewhere interesting, like New Orleans? Yep. Interestingly, sort of the same path that the Infamous series took. Oh, yeah, kind of, yeah. Yeah. When they ended up in, like, Seattle. Uh, Seattle and somewhere else, yeah. Uh, The second one was basically in New Orleans parallel. Right, that's right. Yeah, and then, yeah, I think the third... The first one was, like, a... Chicago parallel, more or less. The mm. second one was a New Orleans parallel, and then I think the third one was actually just Seattle. Right, right. I knew. I know they eventually end up in Seattle. Yeah, because and Infamous uh, is headquartered in Seattle, or uh, the Sucker Punch. Yeah, yeah. If I remember correctly, people got very upset about the Seattle iteration because it was nowhere close to what Seattle actually was. <laughs> <laughs> but um, we're getting off topic, so. Yes. Before we get into Mafia 3, though, we do need to kind of finish up a few things with Mafia 2. Mm. Because, Alex, Mafia 2 has DLC. Ah, yes. And it's DLC that is completely useless. <laughs> <laughs> but we're going to go over it. In fact, we're actually going to go over this DLC in more detail than a Mafia 3 DLC, which is actually sizable. Mm. Because this DLC is interesting to me for... Reasons that aren't related to narrative, but rather how a narrative can be structured in these sort of DLCs. So, okay. 
as a reminder, Mafia 2 came out in 2007, and besides, like, some weapons packs that came out that were hilariously overpriced, like, three guns for, like, I think it was, like, four bucks or oh something like that. Yeah, it, it was a complete ripoff, and they have not stopped <laughs> since then. <laughs> oh, take two. Uh, yeah, damn that company. Um, yep. <laughs> They they publish so many good games and yet as a company yeah. themselves they just are <laughs> terrible. Point is we get two technically three although two of them are just wrapped into each other mm. uh, DLCs. The first of these is Jimmy's Vendetta. So Alex, let me tell you about the the Ballard of of Jimmy, the enforcer for the new Ravina crime family. The fourth crime family in Empire Bay that you never uh, heard of during the game. Okay, I feel like that's... Mm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, fun thing about DLCs that were released around this time is that a lot of times they were very small. Because for those of you who don't remember, the Xbox 360, the leading console of this generation, released in 2006, did not have a hard disk drive. So mm. it had... At first, memory cards, essentially. Mm-hmm. And then later, there was a hard disk drive that you could attach to the machine. What that meant was that a lot of DLCs that came out pretty early on had to be very limited in scope. And so, Jimmy's Vendetta is interesting in that it's basically like an almost arcade mode for Mafia 2 mm. that has a bunch of missions and does have some voice lines, uh-huh. but... It goes hard on reusing models. Like right. two, the two main villains, actually, their models are reused between each other. <laughs> uh, there's not exactly a whole lot of dialogue that goes on in this, much less cutscenes. Right. And so the story ends up being very, very slight because of it, despite how long it actually is. So, long story short, Jimmy is an enforcer for this new crime family that you've never heard of. Don't worry, though; they've always been here and always been important. Totally. And one day he's like cleaning up loose ends for them. And then he gets set up by that family and sent to jail for 15 years. So while he's in prison, the capos of this family try to murder him. And in response, Jimmy orchestrates a prison riot to give him cover for an escape. So he escapes, starts disrupting uh, Don Gavina's businesses, gets him in trouble with the commission, and eventually corners him at a lighthouse and kills him. Then he goes after a judge who was corrupt, Judge Hillwood, who apparently even has things over the commission and is a big reason why uh, Vito went to jail and all this other stuff that's barely explained and whatnot. Uh, But he's eventually cornered in his mansion, which is Leo Galante's mansion because they just Uh reused it, and killed. And then the mansion is burned down with his body in it. That's it. You will never hear about Jimmy ever again. Okay, He's gone. I, I feel like they didn't need to make that canon. They could have just made that like a completely independent story, like mm-hmm. from the Mafia universe. Yeah, but no, they, they decided to try to tie it in a little bit, and it okay. was unnecessary. Yeah. So the second piece of DLC is a little bit more sizable, because I think it came out just a little bit later when mm. uh, the Xbox uh, Marketplace was starting to allow like bigger expansions and whatnot right and that's joe's adventure which sounds like an arcade game but it's not okay so joe's adventure stars our good friend joe barbaro uh basically explaining what was going on while Vito was in prison and how mm-hmm. he got in with the, the uh falcone crime family how how it happens is it told in maybe the most boring and straightforward <laughs> way possible so first it starts up it starts strong with joe barbaro waking up surrounded by women only to look out his window and see Vito get arrested. 
So then he angrily calls Luca Garino, uh, one of the Clementi co- crime bosses, like uh, Capos, mm-hmm. who orders him, who like, he, like, he tells like, hey man, Vito's gotten arrested. He's like, oh man, it must have been one of the gas station attendants. Because uh, it's about when Vito sold those gas station rations right. and got caught for it. So he orders Joe to go and get these attendants, which they do. Uh, but find, but then he finds out from the attendants that, oh man, somebody even bigger is after Joe and Joe's all operation and whatnot, and they're going to take him down. So Joe's like, oh no, it's a bigger conspiracy. So Joe informs Luca about this, and he points him to find a man named uh, Mazio. So Joe like has to like follow some detectives back to a boathouse, like chases them over a partially frozen lake and kills him. Mm-hmm. And so like after all this is done, Luca's like, "Good job, man. We're gonna get the best lawyer in town for Vito and get him off. Everything's gonna be fine. Vito's not gonna go to jail." Literally right after this, it smash cuts to Vito being sentenced to ten years and Joe being angry. <laughs> <laughs> so Amazing. He, it's great. It's actually. Really good unintentional comedy there. <laughs> so he angrily confronts Luca, who tells him to go home, but come back tomorrow because he'll have a job for him. But then the next day, Joe gets a call from Henry, who tells him that Luca's put a hit out on him. So Joe has to leave Empire Bay. And so he leaves for five years, so we don't have to worry about that period of time. Okay. Okay. So he comes back with a terrible mustache and an incredibly bright yellow and blue shirt. Uh, he meets up with an old man named Anthony Bassamo, who works with Falcone, uh, who immediately gets some work doing various crime stuff, including stealing a train. Oh, that's big scale. That actually is a pretty big scale. Yeah, like trains are trains are strangely hard to steal, mm-hmm. and they're they're usually kind of full of important things. So it's mm-hmm. usually kind of a big deal when they do get hijacked. Indeed. And yeah, so it's needless to say, they uh, they kind of hit the big time with this. And it's, it's pretty funny because like they drive the train out of the station and like Joe's just like, kind of like hanging out the side of the window, just like incredibly <laughs> pleased with themselves. It's like it's it's pretty great. It's pretty great. So this puts him in the in the good graces of Eddie Scarpa and Don Falcone, who basically tells him, hey, keep this up and we will make sure you do you do not get murdered. Uh huh. So Joe does more crying to get in deep with the Falcone family. And then one day Falcone gets like an ambush at the cat house. We find out that there's a traitor in his midst. Joe manages to kill him by throwing him off a building. And so because of that, Falcone goes, hey, you're in with the family. We're going to make sure that Luca doesn't murder you. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> so that's basically what happens with Joe. If that sounds completely useless and unnecessary, it was. Congratulations. Yeah. Hooray. Also, again, I have to reiterate, I feel like stealing a train should be enough to get you in. You would think so, but no. Like, no, that's you... a big job. <laughs> yeah, you'd be, you think, like, Falcone at that point would be like, eh, maybe I should make sure you don't get murdered, but no. No, okay. He's like, listen, you gotta d- throw this dude off a building for me. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's basically the DLC for for Mafia 2. Kind of slight in many ways. Mm-hmm. Joe's adventure actually, from the cutscenes and gameplay I saw, actually sounds like it might have been sort of worthwhile. Mm. Maybe not fifteen dollars worthwhile. But yeah. Mm. yeah, it was at it was at least a something. Yeah, it sounds like a fun time. It does. And then after that, Mafia Two goes dark until 2016's Mafia Three. 
So once again, Mafia 3 takes place in a fictionalized version of New Orleans called New Bordeaux in 1968. And this game has maybe one of the best framing devices I have seen in a video game in a long time. Okay. Which is to say that it takes place in the modern day, but the entire game is basically told via flashbacks and a documentary. Mm. And this documentary is shockingly well done. It also makes really good use of like period appropriate music mm-hmm. in a way that I feel like other games that have tried to do that has felt very forced. This game goes incredibly hard in that direction, and I think it pulls it off very well. And I think it give a good idea to show you, Alex, like how they actually go about this. It's just to show you literally the opening cutscene to this game. Okay. Okay. Yeah, this is... This is a strong start, and yep. I really like the effect this filter is having over the CG mm-hmm. assets. Yep. And it makes, like, real footage and, like, fake, and they do it well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> All right, that is really setting up something. It really, really is. Yeah, it, like, it is such a good way to just, like, open up that game. And it basically mm-hmm. uses that framing throughout the entire game. Yeah. Uh, even like when you get like a game over in that game, it'll actually cut back to uh, that FBI agent there, uh, Agent McGuire. Mm-hmm. And like, uh, this is not how that was supposed to go. Hold <laughs> on, let me look through my notes. Like, yeah, it it infuses it with a character and honestly, like an emotional heart mm-hmm. that I think works incredibly well for this game. And by emotional heart, I mean, there's basically three people as part of this documentary that they interview. Agent McGuire, who's part of the FBI, who was investigating basically Lincoln Clay's murderous rampage through New, New Bordeaux that we're going to mm-hmm. get into. Uh, another woman, Nikki Burke, who was friends with Lincoln. And Father James, who was basically like a mentor to Lincoln and the a Catholic priest who basically is clearly broken up with this because he helped enable Lincoln. And he's mm-hmm. like the main person who like talks about like the civil rights era and like what new Bordeaux went through there and like how things have progressed to the present day and, and like the effect that Lincoln has had on the city. Right. And it is just incredibly well done. It's, it's well done in the sense of like, it seems like a documentary you would like see about the mafia on the history channel. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's well done. And I like the effect, especially that that last part had of being like a, a, all of the best settings sort of take on a life of their own. Mm-hmm. And like the, the city has is a character is the yeah. way people describe it. Yeah. And I like that that framing, I like that that statement sort of frames that Lincoln's story that you're about to hear is going to have a profound impact on that character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, Incredibly strong, and the game just continues being incredibly strong by just immediately throwing us headfirst to the documentary, as we're immediately introduced to our first character, and that is the elderly black black Catholic priest, uh, Father James, uh, as he's sitting down smoking a cigarette and telling us rather solemnly about the origins of the game's protagonist, Lincoln Clay. So Lincoln Clay's origins are somewhat shrouded in mystery. Uh, We know his mother was likely Dominican, his father possibly Italian, and that he was abandoned as a baby in 1947. He grew up in an orphanage before being taken in by Sammy and Perla Robinson, uh, Dominicans who were leaders of what was known as the Black Mob, a crime family in New Bordeaux that 
operated out of the Delray Hollow neighborhood in New Bordeaux. Lincoln grew up essentially as their adopted son, alongside their biological son, Ellis. Uh, and once he graduated high school, he enlisted in the Army before being sent off to Vietnam. During his time in Vietnam, he earned two Purple Hearts, a Silver Star, and a Distinguished Service Cross, which makes that now two out of three protagonists who have <laughs> earned the second highest uh, possible award the military gives out. Father James describes Lincoln as someone who is always looking for a home, much like the other boys who were abandoned. But he says that once that's lost, you can never get it back. So it's now February 1968, as we flash back into the past, and he's discharged and he goes back home to New Bordeaux and back to his adopted family, only to learn they owe a bunch of money to the Italian Mafia, whose New Orleans branch is run by Sal Marcano. We, we learn that he... Oh, so we learn about that, and immediately Lincoln's like, hey, I gotta help out with that. So the game itself actually starts proper with Lincoln Clay and another man, Georgia Marcano, dressed up in... Georgia Marcano being Sal Marcano's son. Mm -hmm. Dressed up in police uniforms as they enact a plan to rob the Federal Reserve, switching the real money with counterfeit bills. Now, before things can really pop off, they immediately get caught by the police. Now, before we see the aftermath of that, we swing back to one week before the robbery as Lincoln gets off the bus after being discharged, only for his adopted brother Ellis to show up. So I love you don't get a whole lot of time with Ellis, I guess, mm -hmm. spoilers, but Lincoln and Ellis immediately have a brotherly camaraderie that is really shown off very well here with Ellis driving up in Lincoln's car and I like Lincoln being like kind of OK that Ellis is late and mm -hmm. Ellis being like. So where exactly, do you know where my brother is? You know, <laughs> last I remember, you know, Lincoln Clay used to give me shit for being even a minute late. And Lincoln <laughs> tells him, fuck you, and they hug. It's great. <laughs> they then drink beers in the street. They then throw him, throw him into the gutter and then drive off home. So he gets home to find that there's a big party being held in his honor by Sammy Robinson. Uh, Father James is also there, a young Father James. And basically everyone in Delray Hollow, his neighborhood, is also there partying it up. Sammy gives a big speech that basically boils down to him telling him how proud he is of him for mm -hmm. everything he's done, staking his own claim and whatnot. And Father James also comes up and gives him congrats as well. We then pop back to the present as Father James recounts how coming back from war is difficult. Father James himself is a World War II vet who served mm -hmm. an all-black unit uh, that mm -hmm. fought in Europe. And he talks about how war... You, is like being in a dark room you can't get out, trapped with all your nightmares. And that one day that door opens up, but you're afraid to leave those nightmares behind. And he tells us this while we see a home movie of Lincoln's party as everyone's like having fun and whatnot. Mm -hmm. So like real juxtaposition going on. Yeah. There. So there's going to be a lot of flashback and flash forwards in this, like, this section because the first, like I'd say 30 minutes of the game is very heavy about this. So. Might be a little confusing, but we're going to be constantly popping back and forth like this. Mm -hmm. So the next day, Lincoln learns the Black Mob is having trouble with the Haitian Mob, uh, which makes sense. Uh, Dominicans and Haitians have uh, typically mm -hmm. had a lot of issues with each other being mm -hmm. on the same island and having respective dictators wanting to kill each other. <laughs> so he goes to hang out with Father James and help him distribute food for the poor. And that's when we learned from Father James that Lincoln was only going to be town long enough to tell the Robinsons he was going to head out west to California and live his life. Mm -hmm. However, hearing now that they're having problems with the Haitians, he decides to stay. Because as Father James describes, Lincoln is loyal to a fault. Right. 
And this is going to really come back to bite him because the Haitians are going to attack Lincoln and Father James and like shoot up basically their uh, the food bank they have. And so Lincoln decides to go after them. So one thing I also want to point out is this game does a really good job of fusing real history with the fake history of this game. Uh-huh. Right. Like right after this, the FBI agent, uh, Agent McGuire, basically talks about how the history of uh, the Haitian dictatorship under Papa Doc Duvalier mm-hmm. caused a lot of Haitians to like leave, including criminals who ended up in the American South, uh, Southeast mm-hmm. and how that created uh, uh, new gangs that popped up and racial tensions and whatnot. And I like, guess it's, it's that's an actual real thing that happened in American history. They do a really yep. good job of like fusing that into this fake history of New Bordeaux that I, as a history nerd, I really like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's it's very good. It's a good way to ground the game and make it believable. Because mm-hmm. it ties Absolutely. into very real emotions and things you can like really understand without even having to imagine them. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's really good about that. So Lincoln sneaks into the bayou and kills the leader of the Haitians, a man named Baca, and he also rescues a young woman who immediately just starts beating the dead body. <laughs> like Lincoln pulls him off, pulls her off the body, and she then just yells at him how it's never over. It's never over, and then leaves. And so Lincoln's like, that was I have no idea what the hell that was, but okay. Mm-hmm. He goes back to Sammy's and he learns that Sal Marcano wants to meet with him personally at the country club. And Lincoln's like, I'm pretty certain they're not going to want me up at the country club being, mm-hmm. you know, black. Mm-hmm. And Sammy's like, yeah, but if Sal Marcano's the one calling you up there, right. you, not, you ain't going to have to worry about a thing. Sammy also tells him he has to do whatever Sal says, no matter what. So up at the club, Lincoln runs into his old friend, Georgie Marcano. And, you know, they basically share a bunch of bunch of jabs back and forth and whatnot and you can clearly tell they've gone back a while and so they go and meet up with sal marcano and another angry old italian man (laughs) and this angry old italian man is vito scaletta oh boy oh yes yeah so good old vito so after uh, vito murdered carlo falcone uh of course instead of getting absolutely murdered like he probably should have been instead leo galante protected him with the caveat that he couldn't quite stay in Empire Bay anymore. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So he's like, you need to go to New Orleans. Or New Bordeaux, I guess. Mm -hmm. And so he went down there to basically work for Sal Marcano. The commission convinced Marcano to give him a couple of rackets and be a lieutenant. And in turn, the commission had somebody to keep an eye on the famously independent Marcano. So. Mm. Because of this, Vito and Sal hate the hell out of each other. <laughs> Sal thinks he's a co- carpetbagger and a mole for the commission, which he's mm-hmm. not wrong. Mm-hmm. And Vito hates Sal because he just feels like he's just doing things wrong and isn't quite proper. So, right. needless to say, a little bit of tensions, and it's been going on for 15 years at this point. <laughs> so, like, immediately, like, um... Uh, Lincoln sits down with Sal, and Sal is like a very gregarious man, just like very happy to meet him, like very Mm -hmm. friendly in a way that like the other mob bosses that we've met over the course of this aren't quite. Like he's very clearly much more laid back. Mm -hmm. So, you know, mainly gives him some whiskey and whatnot. Um, Vito like questions uh, Lincoln on his credentials, is impressed with the fact that he was in the military and has a distinguished service cross, and is like, all right, cool. Uh, I got to go handle some things. I'll see you later. So, Sal immediately is like, Vito has a plan to rob the Federal Reserve. 
And he's going to basically front a bunch of money. We're going to steal a bunch of old money that they have that's going to be incinerated. So it's basically like we're stealing money that, you know, is going to be destroyed anyway. So right. no one's getting hurt by this. And also it's going to be like $10 million we're stealing in like 1968 <laughs> money. Oof. So, yeah. So Sal's like, by the way, we got to talk about this thing with Sammy. And Lincoln's like, hey, listen, don't worry. I took care of the Haitians. And Sal's like, yeah, I heard. I'm incredibly <laughs> impressed. This guy's a go-getter. You see a problem and you just go and handle it. And I like that. I love that even. So what do you say you replace Sammy as the head of the black mob? And Lincoln's like, uh, I, I can't do that. And Sal's like, listen, we'll, we'll take care of Sammy. You know, we'll make sure he gets a nice retirement. You don't got to worry about it. And Lincoln's like, well, he's like family to me. You know, he's, he's like the father I never had. You know, I, I can't betray him like that. And so Sal gets up and he's clearly angry. But then he calms down and says, well, you know, I can't say I'm not a little disappointed, but I appreciate the fact that you're loyal. Loyalty's rare these days. So Lincoln's like, uh, do you still want my help in this job? And Sal's like, oh, yeah, of course, man. No, let's, let's get it. Let's all get paid. Let's do this. So the next day, Lincoln goes with Georgie to meet with Thomas Burke, an angry Irishman with ties to the IRA and his son, Danny Burke. Danny is friends with both Lincoln and uh, Georgie and Ellis and whatnot. Basically, uh -huh. they are just four guys who just like hang out and have a good time and whatnot. Yeah, got everyone sort of came up together. Yeah, exactly. And so we learned that the plan is that Lincoln and Georgie are going to get into the vault while Danny and Ellis drill through the canals under, that are underneath the reserve so they have an escape. So we now flash back to the robbery as things are going bad. Mm -hmm. Lincoln fights off the cops. Ellis and Danny drill through the ground. Danny gets his legs crushed by debris, but they all manage to escape because it's the night of Mardi Gras, and so they just sneak through Mardi Gras. Like, they carry, a, mm -hmm. carry Danny and just pretend that he's drunk and whatnot, and right. manage to get away that way. So, they give it back to Sammy's bar with a ridiculous amount of money, and Sammy tells him he's proud of them. This gives him real freedom. Nobody, I'm not going to be under anybody anymore. This is great. Sal Marcano then walks in and goes, hey, great job. I'm going to take my cut. And then we're going to have drinks and party, and it's going to be absolutely great. And everyone's super happy. Like, Sammy at first is a little mm -hmm. uneasy, but he's like, okay, cool. We're going to get down to the top shelf stuff? All right, nah, man, everything's going to be great. Nothing is going to go wrong. <laughs> Things immediately go wrong when Georgie tells Lincoln, you know, you're probably the best motherfucker I know. And then he pulls out a gun and says, you shouldn't have said no, and shoots him in the head. Ah. While Painted Black by the Rolling Stones plays. Okay. Good choice. Overused song, but this feels like a good, it's, a good use. It's very well done for this scene, yes. Mm -hmm. Although it is a little disappointing. This is now two series in a row we've done on this podcast where to use Painted Black. Yeah. Unintentional, by the way. <laughs> yeah. No, again, it is an incredibly often used song in video games. It really is. So, Lincoln then fades in and out of consciousness as he watches Sal Marcano execute Sammy. Ellis gets shanked, and then Danny dies somehow, okay. as, and the bar is set on fire. Now, Father James then walks into the bar just in time to pull him out. So, Lincoln is going to survive all this, because it turns out Georgie is a bit of a bad shot, uh -huh. and he hints it with a glancing shot that ricochets off of his skull. Now, it's going to leave him with a really bad scar, right? otherwise he's going to be fine. This is going to be very unfortunate because of an aspect of Lincoln's background that I have neglected to mention until now. I feel like I can guess what it is. Is it the fact that he's Rambo? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And I, I, my that, I don't mean that he's like every video game character who has the capabilities of Rambo. Uh -huh. I mean that in the sense 
that he basically has the same backstory as Rambo. Yep. So mm-hmm. there's been a really fun escalation through the Mafia series of the protagonist getting more and more confident. Mm-hmm. First, you had Tommy Angelo, cab driver and murder machine. <laughs> then you had Vito Scaletta, paratrooper and, you know, distinguished service cross member, like winner. Mm-hmm. And now you have Lincoln Clay, a man who, upon going to Vietnam, immediately distinguished himself and got the attention of the CIA who immediately indoctrinated him into the 5th Special Forces Group, which is a real Special Forces Group, by the Mm -hmm. way, and arguably the most famous that isn't like the Navy SEALs, uh, or Army Rangers, I guess. Mm. Now, the 5th Special Forces Group focuses on two things, stealth tactics and infiltration, and psychological warfare. (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) Which Lincoln's going to be doing both, let me tell you. (laughs) The second part is also very telling of another aspect about him which is that he has deep CIA connections. Mm-hmm. This is literally the worst person you could fail to kill. <laughs> yeah. So I I like the way they have set up Mercado mm-hmm. as a villain. Like, I feel like they gave him a lot of personality and a lot of, like, very human flaws. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's good. The flaw where Lincoln went up to him and was like, listen, don't worry about the Haitians. I took care of it. Mm-hmm. And Mercado went, yeah, that was great, in reference to all of the people that he killed. Mm-hmm. And it didn't say, wow, that sure was a lot of people that you killed. Mm-hmm. But just went, that's awesome. This will definitely be great for business to have this person who's so good at killing people. Yeah. <laughs> I should betray this person. Yeah. I should betray this person and kill his adopted family. How's this going to go for me? Hmm. Not well, I'm guessing. To be fair... Go ahead. Sorry, it is also... I feel like it is part of the escalation of Mafia as a video game series. Mm -hmm. That, like, that whole aspect of the Mafia tries to avoid murder until, like, a last resort, because it's kind of bad for business to Mm -hmm. have too many bodies piling up. Eh. Yeah. Just throw that by the wayside. Yeah, screw it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, there's going to be a reason why Marcano just resorts to murder at the drop of a hat. Okay. But it it is quite the escalation. And the fact that, oh, just to get ahead of ourselves, Marcano's going to screw over a lot of people. Like, yeah. a lot of people who have either the connections or capability to take him down, including a member of the Irish Republican Army, <laughs> another Distinguished Service Cross winner, and an incredibly crazy Haitian who's basically a ghost. So <laughs> he's going to do it all at the same time with Rambo. So yes. Yeah, great. And yeah, like I said, it's like, it is a little ridiculous and arguably unrealistic, but I do think they did a good job framing it through Marcano being mm-hmm. like, yeah, he's kind of a crazy asshole. He kind of is. Yeah, even his plan is going to prove to be a little crazy, although it's going to be a very, un- well, I think it's a very understandable plan once he, once we've learned about it. But yeah, yeah, it's, but at the end of the day, yeah, yeah it's still, it's still a video game. You got to yeah. do the thing. Yeah, you got to, you got to have some excuse to just drop 30 people in this level. Mm-hmm. Yep. So he's, so Lincoln is taken back to the parish to recuperate. And back in the present, as part of the documentary, Father James tells us that Lincoln woke up long enough to tell him to call John Donovan. He then takes a drag of a cigarette and says, most days I wish I didn't call him. (laughs) 
disagree because mm. John Donovan may be one of my favorite video game characters of all time. <laughs> Uh, we get our first real taste of John Donovan with some archival footage of a Senate congressional investigation as he is grilled by Senator Richard Blake of Louisiana. And I am going to show you this clip, Alex, because okay. I think it's just it's short and it is the perfect encapsulation of his entire, entire character. Mr. Donovan, do you know this individual? Sure. Sal Marcano. Mm hmm. And how about this man? That Sal's worthless piece of shit, brother Lou. Look, enough of the dog and pony bullshit. What's your real question? Did you help Lincoln Clay murder Sal Marcano and all prominent members of his crime family? You're goddamn right I did. <laughs> yep. All right, yep. Yeah, he is, he is a lot of fun. Just an incredible amount of fun like that. So for those of you who are, I'll probably insert that clip. I'll probably insert into the, into the podcast, but in the event that I do not, it probably behooves me to actually describe it. So John Donovan is prominently featured, if not in game, then in archival footage from a 1971 Senate congressional investigation that was classified as he's grilled by Senator Richard Blake of Louisiana. They're basically trying to investigate why the heck, Lincoln Clay more or less blew up New Bordeaux. Mm -hmm. And he asks, he goes over to like members of the like the Marcano crime family and Donovan like cuts him off, tells him to quit the dog and pony show and ask him what he really wants to know. And Blake wants to know if Donovan helped Lincoln Clay kill Sar Sal Marcano and his associates, which he responds smugly. Yeah, goddamn right. I did. So John motherfucking Donovan is a piece of shit and I love him. <laughs> He is a blonde man who wears some sort of suit or dress suit that is either constantly being sweated through, disheveled with the sleeves rolled up, or barely on him. <laughs> now, he's a member of the CIA who met Lincoln in Vietnam. And basically, during their time together in Vietnam, they became very close friends. Their relationship in terms of how he, they dealt with things on the battlefield was he would give Lincoln intelligence, and then in his own words, he would get the fuck out of the way. Because Lincoln is a video game protagonist. Right. He is incredibly sarcastic, condescending, and profane, except to Lincoln, in which case he's just sarcastic and profane. Mm. He's also incredibly upset that the greatest American to ever live, John Fitzgerald Kennedy, was assassinated in 1963. <laughs> he's incredibly competent at his job and loves the CIA to the point of making sure to slag any and all other intelligence agencies, particularly the FBI, which he hates. Mm. What's funny is that he's going to set up a tax center that uh, and he's going to be giving Lincoln a bunch of intel and he's going to talk about how he stole all the equipment from the FBI. And then literally the next scene is going to be in the present day as FBI agent uh, McGuire talks about how their investigation was impeded because somebody stole all their equipment. <laughs> <That's> like, <laughs> yes. Uh, so basically the backstory to Lincoln Clay is like more or less the plot of Call of Duty Black Ops. Kinda. <laughs> That's who we're dealing with here. Yep, pretty much. Okay. Uh, it's great. Oh, another fun fact is that he is named after the founder of the CIA, by the way. Oh, CIA okay. founder was uh, William Donovan. So Lincoln takes at least four to five months to recover. Uh, we know this because during that time, we see scenes of his recovery that includes television footage with the Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, 
news being a set of him being assassinated, the riots that followed, then Robert Kennedy's own assassination in June 1968. Upon waking up, he confers with Father James and Donovan. Father James asks Lincoln, as he stares at a photo of Marcano, if that's the man he plans to kill. He then tells Lincoln this is a dangerous road. Which Donovan's like, alright, what do you want us to do then? And James is like, hey listen, Marcano deserves to die. So kill him, but leave it at that. It has to be enough. And Lincoln mm. yells, that's not enough! Before James tells him, it's enough if you think it's enough. Father James then tells him it won't bring Ellis back. It won't bring Sammy back if he just continues on his rampage. Lincoln then tells him, though, it's not about bringing him back. It's about making him lose everything. Making him feel what he felt as he watched the bar burn down. He then gets up to leave with Donovan, and he tells him that you taught us to turn the other cheek, but that don't work in the real world. So, this is the framing for the game. This mm-hmm. is not a mafia story. Right, it's, this is a revenge story. Yes, it is going to be a very <laughs> thorough revenge story. And if you want to get any more indication that it's this is going to be a revenge story, Lincoln's going to go back to the basement of Sammy's burned-down bar uh, and grab his stuff. Yes, classic. Which, yep, which includes a watch Sammy gave him before he left that gives him good luck. And as he remembers how Sammy died, he shaves his head with a combat knife. Oh, boy. Yep. So, yeah. Meeting up with Donovan at his tax center, we learn what Lincoln's plan is. To take out Marcano's lieutenants one by one, each in very public ways meant to induce psychological trauma in Marcano, and then replace those lieutenants with his own. So Donovan has identified three people who Lincoln could recruit to help him run the territories that he takes from Marcano. But he first directs him to make contact with the Haitians, who are just mysteriously back up and running now. So this literally, by the way, is like the first hour of the game, which probably will make you freak out because it's 42 minutes into this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) The good news is, is that while there's a lot of incredible scenes between Father James and Lincoln and Lincoln and, uh, and Donovan, a lot of it is kind of fluff. It is incredibly good fluff. Mm-hmm. of basically Lincoln finding more and more messed up ways to take these people down. Right. Uh, but at the same time, it is kind of fluff. So we're going to move through this pretty darn quickly and just kind of hit the big mm-hmm. people that Lincoln takes down. Okay. So Lincoln sneaks into a house in Delray Hollow and meets with Lear the Haitians, who turns out to be the woman he freed from Baca. This woman is Cassandra, and it turns out she's the leader, real leader of the Haitians all along. She just mm-hmm. kind of tricked Lincoln in order to get away. Okay. Cassandra is essentially a ghost. Nobody knows if she's real or not. Like, she's a real person, but in the sense Mm -hmm. of, like, nobody really knows her true identity. Uh, Nobody knows what her backstory is. She has, like, three different backstories, essentially, that involve, Mm -hmm. like, her murdering her dad, being resurrected in a bayou via voodoo ritual, uh, all sorts of different stuff. Right. She is basically a very... She's a pretty cruel person and a very pragmatic person who also has a thing about needling people for being hypocrites. Mm. Like basically she, like when Lincoln details his plan to get back at Marcano and like make things right, she basically needles him about it throughout the whole conversation. Uh, Basically her whole thing is just to kind of get under people's skin and she's very effective at it. Uh, she's also very effective at being incredibly emotional when it suits her needs, as we'll find. Mm-hmm. So it turns out that Delray Hollow, after the Black Mob was forced out, is now being run by the Dixie Mafia, which is basically racist white people. That's that's basically their thing. 
kind of Ku Klux Klan, but not because the actual Ku Klux Klan in this game it runs a different territory. I see. Okay. Hmm. So Cassandra gives a sob story about how they killed her sister, which is, as we've learned, is not true, and mm. directs him to find Richie Doucette, the leader of the Dixie Mafia, and kill him. Uh, Lincoln really wants to find Richie as well, because Richie is the man who's shanked Ellis. <laughs> oh. So this is where we get into the main gameplay loop. And in short, the main gameplay loop is you bust up the various territories, do little mini missions within them, interrogate people. And through that, eventually, you put the heat enough on whoever you're after to actually do a main mission. I find it a lot of fun. It is incredibly repetitive. Mm, yeah. And probably the main criticism of the game. I like it because you could do each mission stealthily, even when the game does not anticipate you doing that. And will actually <laughs> reward you with like weird dialogue if you do. Mm. So I personally love it. But yeah, it's a whole lot of that, which is also why we're skipping over the vast majority of it. Fair enough. Yeah, it's yeah, open world design. Mm-hmm. Go to point, do mission, repeat until you unlock the next boss fight. Exactly, exactly. And it's much different from what Mafia was doing, where it's literally was like, technically it's an open world, but you're going just from mission to mission. Right. And each one progresses a story where here it technically does, but you can also do it in whatever order you want. Mm-hmm. So Lincoln eventually puts the squeeze on Doucette enough to have him flee to a nearby amusement park. Which Lincoln then sneaks through, kills all of his men, and beats the hell out of Doucette. Now, as Doucette, so he starts to like basically strap Doucette to the Ferris wheel and is basically planning on hanging him from it. Mm. Doucette pleads for his life and says, man, I wasn't what I was supposed to do. I was just following orders. And Lincoln's like, you should have just made sure I was dead then, I guess, huh? <laughs> and so he immediately just turns on the Ferris wheel and he's hung from the Ferris wheel. Damn. So in a flash forward... Former FBI agent John McGuire recounts seeing the body and realizing he was dealing with something different from your typical mob hit. Something that was usually clean and low-key. It was clear that someone was trying to terrify the mob and let them know that nobody would be able to stop him. So, back in, uh, I guess, the past, he goes to report this back to Cassandra and tells her to run the hollow, provided she remembers to kick all the money up to him. So, that's one underboss. Lincoln needs to recruit two others for his criminal enterprise. The first is going to be good old Thomas Burke, an Irishman who used to run Point Verdun, the Point Verdun neighborhood before Sal Marcano took it away from him. Gave it to a guy named Barbary, who then promptly broke all of Burke's legs. Mm. Now, Burke has been in a drunken haze ever since his son Danny died. Um, He does have a daughter named Nikki that he is very disappointed with because she is a lesbian and he is... (laughs) And Thomas Burke is a terrible person. Right. Between all of those, he's basically doing basically all the drinking in the world to the point that he actually tries to like assassinate Barbary by walking into his bar, firing at him point blank and missing every shot. <laughs> so Lincoln helps, uh, decides to help him out. And eventually, after busting up Barbary's operation, they lure him into a trap at Burke's scrapyard that ends up with Barbary being shot. And then Burke tortures him to death breaking all of his legs in the process. His body's not discovered for like 30 years. So the second and final, I guess third technically, and final person is Vito Scaletta himself. So once again, Marcano's never really liked Scaletta, but can never touch him because Vito was a made man. Mm -hmm. However, he's been slowly ruining all of his rackets and making it difficult to pay his cuts to commission, hoping this would result in them allowing him to kill Vito. So Sal Marcano sent his nephew, Michael Greco, to help him with his businesses and by help him 
put even more of it, more of the screws to Skeletta. Mm-hmm. So Lincoln manages to rescue Vito as he's tied up and getting beaten up. Uh, and we find out through Vito in the aftermath of the robbery, he was going to just get his cut and get out of town because he saw that if Sal was going to do all this, he was not going to want to be anywhere near him. Right. However, Marcano refused. And so since Vito put all of his money into the robbery, he couldn't run. So he decided to stay and try to make life as difficult as possible for Marcano. So Lincoln gives him the cell. Basically, I'll give you your territories back and probably more as long as you work for me. And Vito goes, sure, why not? Sounds good <laughs> to me. We are both protagonists in Mafia games. Yeah, we're probably going to get we're going to get along probably the best out of everybody. Probably there's going to be a lot of bodies that result from this alliance. You are absolutely correct. <laughs> and one of those bodies is going to be Michael Greco's because he's going to be tracked down to an old shantytown, which they then grab him and bring him back to Vito's hideout. So Vito is very curious as to why Marcano all of a sudden wants him dead. Because it seems mm-hmm. odd. He's had yeah. 15 years. Why now? Right. It turns out that Marcano is trying to build a casino and is trying to go legit. Now, he wants to make sure that anybody who could possibly know about the casino was dead. As well as anybody associated with the robbery, because there's going to be things involved with that that he also doesn't want people like, say, the commission to know about. Mm. So. Building a casino and going legit requires a lot of money because not only is Marcano financing all the construction because he does not want the mob involved. Right. But he's also bribing state officials to get the law changed because at this time, Louisiana does not allow gambling. Mm. So, like, after this, Greco's like, you're going to let me go now, right? And Vito's like, going to hit you with this wrench instead. How's that sound? (laughs) So, we now cut to Marcano and his son, Georgie. Now, Georgie is confused as he looks over a scale model replica of the casino as to why his dad wants out of the game. Because the casino is going to be making him so much less money. Mm. And so Marcano lays it out. So Marcano has two brothers, well, technically three brothers. Uh, one of them, Lucio, died back in, I believe, 1963. He was murdered by fellow gangsters. Mm. And it made him realize that there's always going to be a target on his back. And one day he's worried that he'll get a call that Georgie's going to be dead. So this whole thing is just his way of getting out of the game, and even if he dies, at least Georgie will be safe and well taken care of. So he then gets hilariously racist (laughs) before getting a call from his brother, Lou Marcano. Lincoln Clay is alive, and they both, uh, Sal and Georgie, just look at each other and realize they're in a shit. Mm. So upon learning about this casino, Lincoln's plans changed. So... He tells all his new lieutenants to meet him at this old plantation house, and they immediately all want to kill each other. Lincoln then tells him to shut up or leave, and if they leave, he will kill them, so you probably should just shut up, which is what (laughs) they do. This is enough to convince him to work together, and now that Lincoln knows about the casino, he decides that he's not only going to go after them, but he's also going to mess with Marcano's money, because he knows that he's stretched incredibly thin, having to not only pay off kickbacks to the commission— but also pay for this casino and bribe every elected official in Louisiana. So he knows that he can basically squeeze him very easily now. So not gonna. there's a bit of a gameplay loop here that does kind of factor into the story where every mm. time you get a new territory, you can assign it to one of your underbosses. Uh-huh. And as you assign more territories to one, the others will get angry. Okay. Long story short, if you just assign equally, nothing happens. They all like you. Uh-huh. If you assign more to one person, eventually another one's going to betray you and you have to kill them. I'm just going to point that out now. It really is not going to matter. Okay. So 
Once again, we're not going to get to every lieutenant or capo that's going to get taken down because there are a lot. So in order to save time, let's just talk about the structure of the Marcano Empire and then just deal it that way. So Marcano, Sal Marcano is obviously on top, and his three capos are all members of his family. Tommy Marcano, Sal's youngest brother, uh, which we'll start with him. Tommy is more business is a more businesslike man who helped Sal run his Cuban casinos back in the 40s before Cast the Castros took power and outlawed all that. He was also involved in counterfeiting and was associated with a man named Alvarez, who was an expert at this sort of thing. So after Lincoln squeezes Tommy's underlings, he finds out the real reason why they did the robbery. It turns out there was old money printing plates being held there that Georgie grabbed for the sole purpose of basically giving the Marcanos an infinite supply of money. Realizing this, he knows he now has to go after Tommy to get these plates, otherwise basically anything he does is going to be for nothing. Mm -hmm. He can't exactly mess with their money if they could just print more of it. So to do this, Lincoln finds out Tommy organizes legal boxing matches called Jungle Fights. You can take a guess what those are about. Mm -hmm. They are racist boxing spectacles. Great. And he uses it to get close to Tommy. At first, Lincoln is captured and tied up, but he quickly breaks free, kills everyone in the room, and grabs a hold of Tommy. As Tommy's about to die, he laments that he should have followed his brother's advice and gone to college. Which Lincoln just tells him, eh, You are who you are. There's no point arguing with yourself about it. Before setting him on fire alongside <laughs> his gym. God. Yep. So Sal takes Tommy's death very hard. Given he was the one who possibly could have gone legit, like Sal really, mm -hmm. really wanted him to just not get into this life, particularly after his brother Lucio died. Mm. So the fact that he's dead just devastates him. So next is Olivia Marcano. Olivia is married to Lucio, or was married, I guess in this case, Sal's mm -hmm. brother, and took over his businesses when he was murdered in the early 60s. She portrays herself as somewhat of a Southern belle and is really taken with the idea of Southern culture and the right way to do things. Mm-hmm. Which is to say she associates with herself with this game's version of the Ku Klux Klan. She uh. also, also associates herself with an incredibly racist talk show host named Remy Duvall, whose radio show you can listen to and sadly doesn't sound that out of place nowadays. Yeah. 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 It's a real uncomfortable listening to that thing. Now, Duvall is very important because he's a man who owns the land the casino was going to be built on and is basically going to be cut into the business. He's also the one person who actually does not have a criminal record, or at least a provable criminal record, that's associated with the Marcanos. So, he also has that going for him. They can, fill, they can launder the money through him, essentially. Mm -hmm. So, this means that when Remy is killed by Lincoln, that land is inherited by Remy's not-racist nephew, who wants nothing to do with the entire operation. So... Sal and Olivia have to, like, squeeze his nephew, but Lincoln like, manages to rescue him and get him out of town before they could do anything to him. So, Lincoln eventually busts into the country club she's holed up in after spiking the wine served at the club with LSD, confronts Olivia, and injures her. He decides to spare her based on his own moral code, something that won't matter, as while she's in a hospital, Georgie will kill her. So, that's all done with. Now Marcano basically doesn't own the land and now has to go through expensive legal proceedings in order to get a hold of it. Now, finally, there's Sal's brother, Lou Marcano. Lou is a popular figure in New Bordeaux as an entertainer. Known as Uncle Lou, he has basically a bunch of radio commercials about talking about, oh, you're going to have fun at Uncle Lou's and whatnot. <laughs> and he runs a bunch of restaurants and bars in the French Ward, New Bordeaux's party district. Previous to that, he had helped Sal and, Luc and Lucio take over the criminal underworld by helping to kill the Cario family. 
Now Lou's big thing is that he has a ton of connections with the politicians of Louisiana and is primarily in charge of either bribing them or intimidating them with blackmail, depending on what works best. He is also a sex trafficker on the side. Ah, there it is. Yeah. He, he of course, he does all the crimes too. Yes. So Lincoln gets to him by first murdering a judge that he had on his payroll and later infiltrates a riverboat that Lou owns and is also holding a fundraiser for Senator Walter Jacobs, someone Lou is bribing to get the gambling laws changed. Lincoln basically blows the boat up, causing it to sink violently and throwing a bunch of rich people into the bayou to be eaten by alligators. It's a really great scene where you're swimming a bunch of <laughs> among alligators as a bunch of rich people are being eaten, and it's great. <laughs> now, Lincoln eventually catches up with Lou and kills him, and he hangs his body off the Andrew Jackson statue in the French ward with the sign Damn. saying, Re-elect Jacobs on it. <laughs> oh my god. So, basically, Sal is now in dire straits financially. Mm -hmm. First, he tries to take a loan from a Cuban heroin dealer who immediately tries to kill Lincoln and fails. Like, the mission for that is actually kind of funny because you're just driving around town and he just shows up like four guys and it's like, come on, man. Yeah, come on. This ain't gonna do anything. <laughs> The second is that he's forced to consider bringing the Italian mafia in and put, get him in on the casino, which would mean he's still going to be beholden to them, which mm -hmm. he doesn't like, but he also doesn't like dying. However, before he can even do all that, Lincoln plans on coming after him. He finds out about this and he tells Georgie to get whatever men they have left and head to the half-finished casino for one last showdown. So it turns out this entire time, Donovan has had Marcano wiretapped and he shares his information with Lincoln. You know, Lincoln tells him, man, I couldn't do this without you. Donovan goes, give him hell, champ, as he immediately starts dumping gasoline everywhere, planning to burn down the motel and cover his tracks. Lincoln then speeds off while Sam and Dave's hold on, I'm coming plays. <laughs> At the casino, Lincoln fights his way through it and confronts Georgie, who immediately gets shot a whole bunch. As he's dying, he tells him that he always thought he was his friend. Georgie explains that he would have done anything for his dad just like he would have done anything for Sammy. Lincoln then nods and explains that he then he has to know why he has to do what he has to do, and then guts him with his knife. Lincoln then takes the keys to the elevator and goes up to the top floor, where he meets a calm Sal Marcano as the sun rises in his office. He tells him, hell of a sight, isn't it? As Lincoln holds a gun on him. Marcano then tells him it's over between them. It was over the second he came up that elevator instead of his son, and then asks him if he wants a drink. Lincoln's like, yeah, sure. His Marcado grabs some imported scotch that he planned on sharing with Georgie when the casino opened. They then sit down, and Marcano talks about how after his brother Lucio died, he started having nightmares. Some about how he would constantly drown, others how he would get murdered in some other way. But another that would, was really bad for him is that he would be at Georgie's funeral. That one would really get Marcano, and apparently would also happen every three to four days for him. Hmm. Lincoln, calm now. Shares a nightmare he had of Vietnam, of dark figures pulling him out of a foxhole, stuffing his mouth full of cotton, and and being forced to watch as the men around him died. Marcano remarks that probably is not going to go away anytime soon. And Lincoln says, I reckon not. So at this point, they're just getting ridiculously drunk on scotch. They have like three <laughs> shots of scotch between each other. Uh -huh. And Marcano remarks the casino was his way of making his nightmares go away. But so much for that. Marcano then tells him he doesn't regret what he did. That he doesn't have the capacity to feel shame. He then says he was right about Lincoln. That Lincoln was wired the same way as him. Wrong. He then tells him he'll be waiting for him in hell. Lincoln says, I know. After that point, you can either shoot Marcano, or he can just walk away, and then Marcano will shoot himself. Mm. Which is usually the choice I take. Uh-huh. 
So Lincoln then leaves the casino, and he's immediately surrounded by cars and men with machine guns wearing nice suits. <laughs> Turns out the Italian mafia is here. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Then out of one of the cars walks a very, very old Leo Galante. Mm. So Leo tells Lincoln he always told Sal this casino was going to be the end of them, though he always meant it figuratively. Mm. Like, let's take a walk. So as they walk, Leo tells him that basically the entire commission wants him dead, that he stirred up a lot of paranoia. And now other members of the mob think, huh, maybe people I've wronged are going to come after me. Lincoln then asks if that means that Leo's going to come after him. And Leo goes, nope. No. I'm, I'm here to deliver you a message. You made your point. It ends here. And Lincoln just pauses for a beat and goes, I got no problem with you. And Leo goes, good. So Leo holds up his arm and Lincoln takes it as they walk back to the car. And he tells Lincoln that Sal paid 20% every month. And he doesn't see any reason for that change. Do you? And Lincoln says, no, I, don't, I think that sounds good to me. And Leo goes, great. Glad to hear it. Good luck, Lincoln. He gets back to his car and his chauffeur closes the door. The chauffeur then gives one quick look to Lincoln. And we see it's Joe Barbaro. Uh, what? Yeah, he's alive, man. Okay. Sure. There was a lot of spec. I, I, I cackled when I saw this when I first played the game. I was like, Joe, yay, you lived! <laughs> What's funny is that they don't mention his name at all, and there is a story in the game that when you meet up with like Vito at one point where he tells Lincoln that Joe actually did escape mm. from being murdered in Empire Bay and went to Chicago, but then five years later he was found and murdered. His hands were cut off. Mm. And it's part of a mission where you go to track down Joe's killers. I guess you just murdered some random people then. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the developers later confirmed that that is indeed Joe Barbaro, but it's like four years after the game came out. Huh. Yeah, so after that, you go back uh, to the parish where Donovan's waiting for you, and Father James is like, so what are you going to do now? Link is like, I guess I have a criminal empire to run? Yeah, I guess so. And Father James is like, you do that, we are never speaking again. Mm. So you can either do what you meant to do, and I will leave town, or and we'll still at least have a relationship, or you can go down a very dark path. And that's where we get to one of five endings. Ah. Uh. And by five, I mean really only two, but like actually three, and then one mm. has a couple variations to it. Okay. So the first ending is that Lincoln runs his criminal empire with his underbosses. Uh, with that we get the ending of the documentary with Father James basically crying and asking the coward to be shut off as he recounts that that bit of uh, Lincoln's tale. Mm -hmm. And we find out Lincoln is still the mob boss in New Bordeaux. And also, basically, the entire American Southeast. He basically mm. just expanded his operations and is doing incredibly well for himself. He's known, as for, philanthrop uh, he's known for his philanthropy and for just like, how good of a guy he is, when secretly, of course, he will kill you at a drop of the hat. Right, of course. The other ending is that you are you can betray all your underbosses and kill them. Why you would do this? I don't know, but you oh, can. Yep, the video games are about freedom. They are. Father James responds to this by wiring up a car bomb and killing and uh, killing Lincoln Clay. So that ends that. The final ending, and arguably the canonical ending, is that Lincoln leaves town. He just gets in his car and he just drives off. So the ending for that has Father James explained that he went to California and he worked in Oakland as part of the dockyards under an assumed name. Uh, then the heat basically kind of caught up with him mm -hmm. and he 
like left town. Like he had a girl that he was going to marry, but that couldn't quite work out because of all this. And so he's he was like spotted in a bunch of different places, Las Vegas, uh, even down like Colombia. There's rumors of him working for uh, the Colombia mafia down there, a Colombian cartel, I should say. And as a uh, Agent McGuire will mention in his part of the documentary, and you hear basically that every couple of years that there's another sighting of Lincoln Clay somewhere. Uh, to this day, Father James still gets basically very short postcards from him, just asking, basically wishing him well. And basically, it ends with Father James walking off the walking off camera sadly. Now, as far as this end has variations because there's different things that happen to New Bordeaux depending on. Mm-hmm. Who's the underboss that has the most influence? If they all have influence, I think it's just random. Mm. But in order from least messed up to most messed up, you have Vito in charge. If Vito's in charge, basically New Bordeaux ends up being fine. Right. That makes sense. He basically builds a bunch of sports arenas and a bunch of other stuff, more gambling halls and all this other stuff. And like he's still doing mob stuff, but he's like doing it with a veneer of professionalism. Only some people are being murdered, not everyone being murdered, as is going to be the case in the other endings. And yeah, so Vito basically just runs New Bordeaux and a good chunk of the American Southeast. Good for him. The next ending is Thomas Burke. So Thomas Burke's one is interesting because it's narrated by Nikki Burke, who absolutely hates her father at this point. Mm. Mm-hmm. And basically talks about how he had six months to live because he had liver cancer. Uh presumably from all his drinking. Right, yeah. And he goes down to Mexico and he gets a black market transplant that's going to allow him to live for another 18 years. So his big thing is that he's going to get progressively more drunk and he's going to get the city of New Bordeaux progressively more drunk by basically building nothing but bars and heroin dens. Now, Mm. by bringing in a bunch of heroin, he's going to bring in a bunch of other gangs that are going to want to fight him, which he's Mm -hmm. going to basically get in constant wars with them that he's always going to come out on top. Uh, he's also going to bribe city officials to rename New, Bor- uh, New Bordeaux to Bourbon Town. <laughs> okay, I feel like there are some government institutions that would take issue with a few of these things. You would think so, but apparently not. Okay. Anyways, eventually the Cub- a Cuban gang manages to get a foothold and take and manages to assassinate him. But all this leads to is a constant strife where basically every few months a big high profile killing will happen and it will be a new crime boss leading the city. The final one is Cassandra. Mm. So Cassandra basically is just going to murder everybody <laughs> because she's going to try to rule New Bordeaux, but nobody's going to believe that she has the right to. So the Italian uh-huh. mob will show up and they'll all get killed. The Colombians will show up and they'll all get killed. The Cubans will show up. Repeat the process. Right. Eventually, as and this one's funny because it's narrated by Agent McGuire. He's like, the real criminals show up, the government. <laughs> <laughs> so the Nash, the governor sends in a national guard, which she then just responds by shooting the governor on the front steps of the Capitol. Uh-huh. So this sends a message that she's in charge and things go quiet for a bit. But then Agent McGuire describes the the United States government in maybe my favorite way I've ever heard him described mm-hmm. as a murderous elephant. <laughs> Quiet, methodical, loud, eventually loud, and it never forgets. <laughs> <laughs> and so they basically decide to just cut all funding to the city, blockade the city, basically allowed to get filled up with so much trash and de- debris that eventually when a hurricane hits it and levels the town, all the levees are in disrepair and completely floods the place. 
and it basically just causes the town to become a ghost town. Nobody knows mm. what happens to Cassandra. They say that maybe she's still on the bayou, ruling what's left of New Bordeaux. Or maybe she's dead. Nobody knows. And that's Mafia 3, except for the ending. So, uh-huh. the ending, this, I love this ending. I absolutely, absolutely love this ending. And it's going to technically probably require some context afterwards. But I'm just, I'm just going to just show it to you. And we'll see what, uh, what you think. <laughs> what the? Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, that's not the direction I expected that to go. I bet not, no. <laughs> it is a hell of an ending. It sure is. He just walks on out. So, yeah, um, most of that clip's not going to make it in because it was long. But the final cutscene is from a congressional hearing in 1971 between Donovan and Senator Blake. At the conclusion, Donovan has a question for Blake. Where were you when JFK was assassinated? He then tells him he was in Vietnam, slowly dismembering a woman to fight an NVA officer. He then gets angry at Blake just being like, I, I gotta go, telling him to shut the fuck up and sit down. He then explains he did a ton of terrible stuff because he believed in this nation. He then says that Sal Marcano and a group of conspirators killed JFK. Blake says that's ridiculous, and then Donovan pulls a gun on him. He then tells Senator Blake that he went through Marcano's files and found his name all over them. He then shoots Blake and tells him he's not finishing with him, he's starting with him, and then walks out. And it's so good. It's really good. That was a really... Also, that voice actor killed it. He does. Oh, yes. That was insane. Yeah. Yeah. It is so damn good. It is so damn good. And presumably, yeah, he just walks on out of there. So I guess whenever <laughs> Mafia 4 happens, if <laughs> yeah, Donovan's, Donovan's not in there, I will be angry. There will be riots. Mm -hmm. Now, I, I also like that, you know, Donovan asks, where were you in... John, when Kennedy was assassinated and Blake says I don't remember at home I think and like that is immediately so suspicious mm -hmm. everyone yeah. remembered where exactly they were yep they absolutely did they absolutely did like my dad remembers where he was like mm -hmm. yeah yeah that was a that was something that you just you knew it's it was the 9-11 of that mm -hmm. generation yep and yeah like the fact that yeah he can't answer that is uh immediately telling it's also another case of history being woven in here in a case mm -hmm. of like, as I mentioned in the first episode, there's a reason why I brought up the New Orleans crime family boss really hated JFK and was linked to his mm -hmm. assassination. They obviously knew about this in this game because they yep. brought that full circle and it's great. Uh, but yeah, that is Mafia 3, a game whose story that, once again, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say that like it's overly original. It is a revenge story at its heart. Mm -hmm. But I think the way it is told is so fascinating that I think mm. it elevates an otherwise kind of mediocre game. Yeah, I would agree with that. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that is more or less Mafia 3. A, a game that, once again, I feel like narratively is incredibly strong and... Because of that, actually ends up being one of my favorite games of all time, somehow. Hmm. Yeah, fair enough. So, after this, the game sold well, but once again, just like Mafia 2, it did not sell Grand Theft Auto levels well. Right. And so, Hangar 13 ended up having a pretty big layoff after this. Uh, and it seemed like there's questions if Mafia was still going to be an ongoing thing. Then in 2020, 
They released Mafia Definitive Edition, aka what if we told Mafia but with a sto- but with a story structure that made more sense. Uh, I did go through the cutscenes for that, and there's nothing mm-hmm. horrifically different about that. Okay. As far as like the overall plot beats, it's just a lot better done. Okay, that makes sense. Now, this apparently did sell pretty well, and so because of that, they are making a Mafia 4. We don't really know a whole lot about Mafia 4 at this point, Mm -hmm. but what we do know is that it's expected to arrive likely in about 2026. Uh, hmm. Part of that is because wow. they had to restaff Hangar 13 uh-huh, after right. firing everybody. <laughs> yeah, that'll do it. Yeah. Um, there are apparently rumors, according to this random Reddit post that I just opened, that it might take place in Sicily, which, that's cool. Yeah, uh, that's unique, at least. Uh-huh. Yeah, and it might even take place in the 19th century. I think this person's lying, but that'd be cool. Probably, yeah. Anyways, they're still hiring for Mafia 4 as of April 13th, 2023. So it, I think it makes sense that it's not going to be coming out for the next Right, yeah, years. it's going to take a bit. It's I don't understand why video game companies constantly like lay off people after they gain experience and then mm. try to make another video game with new, inexperienced people. I'm guessing probably because the new, inexperienced people are cheaper. and Yeah, probably, but that seems like you'll just end up with the same kind of jank undercooked game yeah but you know line has to go up and that's employee costs are usually the one way to make line goes up in a very <sighs> false way so yeah yeah unfortunately it it makes sense in a way that makes me hate everything yep mm-hmm. yeah so regardless that's where we're kind of sitting today alex how are you feeling i feel i feel pretty good that was fun yeah that was an- Definitely interesting story, and I like I like the way that they sort of framed a lot of those stories. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. I once again, it's really the framing of Mafia Three that really drives it as far as it does. I think if they mm-hmm. did not have that, it would lose so much. Yeah, because uh, it allows you to just spend more time with Father James, if nothing else. You mm-hmm. you really feel for the guy. He's like the one yeah. good person in this entire game. Uh, and, like, that's not to say anything about, like, how, like, Mafia 2 is told. Like, Mafia 2 is, like, told pretty well as well. Mm-hmm. Really only, like, Mafia 1, which, once again, that was released in 2002. It should be expected that would be almost a little jank. Oh, yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I don't know. I, I like the fact that this, for once, this is a podcast series where we don't end it with being like, God, that was a nightmare. Mm-hmm. I'm glad yeah. I'm done talking about this. <laughs> <laughs> so, there's something nice about that. Yeah, I mean, we'll see how Mafia 4 goes, but... Yeah, but For the time be, being. That'll be after I'm d- we're done with this, so it's yeah, okay. Yeah, well after. <laughs> uh, oh, it's funny, I, I just pulled up this article about Mafia 4, and they have a picture of Mafia Definitive Edition. Neither sequel could be any worse than Crime Boss Rock A City. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, man, that game just keeps coming up. Anyways, Alex, you have any final thoughts? Uh... Not really. I mean, the the main thing that stands out to me is, yeah, those were all pretty good Mafia or, and or Revenge stories, but man, it's a lot easier to do Scarface in a video game than The Godfather. It really is. Kind of makes sense, given that the Scarface video game was better received than The Godfather video game. Yep, it sure was. Kind, kind of just direct proof of that, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I should, we should do just a podcast episode where we do weird video game sequels to movies. Mm, yeah, there's a there's... shocking amount of those. 
Yeah, and I don't think any of them are good. Nope. Nope. Like, some people said good things about the Scarface one, but... Not... Mm. Well, I don't know. Do you consider the Warriors one to be a... I guess that's not really uh. a sequel. It's a kind of a prequel. Yeah. Also, I, yeah, I never played it, but I did hear it was shockingly good. It is a modern beat-em-up. Fair released enough. in 2005. Yeah. Which is actually a good thing. They, they modernize things. I was like, you can make a Streets of Rage with this. Yeah. And then they never, and they, well, they tried, actually. They <laughs> tried, and then Capcom was like, eh. Actually, maybe we shouldn't. <laughs> yeah, I think that's going to do it for us uh, for this particular podcast series. Alex, thanks for doing with this with me, as always. Of course. And for those of you who want to listen to more episodes of Fallen Through Plotholes, such as the first two parts of this series, you can go to stp.podbean.com or search for Fallen Through Plotholes on your podcast service of choice. Leave us a review and a follow. We really do appreciate that. And take care, everybody. Take care.